turn in God's Word with me this morning to uh, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. If you don't quite know where to find that, um, just look past the Gospels, start turning through the letters to uh, one of the longest words you'll see. And if you get to Timothy, you're too far. Uh, just go back a couple of pages, you'll hit Thessalonians. And Thessalonians chapter 5 is what uh, we're looking at this morning. Just a couple of verses there as we continue on in our series on prayer. This morning we're going to be talking about praying for things. Praying for things. <clears throat> and uh, how does the Bible guide us in that? So if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 beginning with verse 16. Be joyful always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, whenever I read or hear this text, I have two immediate questions and, and perhaps uh, perhaps you're like me in that. The first question is this. Um, it has to do with the extreme nature of this text, with Paul's seeming lack of moderation. In other words, it's one thing to call us to be joyful, and it's one thing to call us to pray, right, and to give thanks. But <clears throat> what's this stuff about giving joy or, or being joyful always? and praying continually and giving thanks in all circumstances. Is that even possible? Is it possible to live in that kind of extreme? Okay. The second question has to do with the relationship between these three things. Is Paul somehow, <clears throat> suggesting somehow here that, that prayer and joy and gratitude are somehow related? And, and further than that is he suggesting that continual prayer is somehow related to this type of unbounded joy and, and thanksgiving. And so those are the questions that are kind of floating around in my head this morning. Maybe they're floating around in yours as well. And we're going to try and get at the answer to those questions by looking at three things this morning, <clears throat> okay? What does Paul mean, first of all, by continually? Pray continually. What's that all about? And then what kind of prayers are we talking about here? What kind of prayers is he instructing us to pray? And then what does all of that have to do with joy and, and gratitude? So first, let's look at what Paul might mean by <clears throat> that word continually. And the answer is, he means just what he says. He means pray continually. Don't stop praying. Keep on praying. Pray without ceasing. Um, how I look at this directive is, is something like this. Have, have you ever used that, if you've got a smartphone, have, have you ever used that app on your phone that's, that's for recording? Recording yourself? Every once in a while, I'll be in the car or something, and I'll think of, some, you know, I think it's a great idea for a sermon or something like that, and I'll whip out my phone and I'll start recording it. 
And as soon as I hit that red button, I become conscious of the fact that, that someone is listening to me. And I'll become very deliberate in my words and in what I say. And, and I'm, I'm like that the whole time until I actually know that that phone is not recording any longer. And it's just that consciousness of the fact that someone is listening that makes me really ponder my words. And in a way, I think that this is what Paul is getting at by that phrase, pray continually. He's saying that we are to go through our day with the awareness that God is living this day with us, that God is right there the whole time, intimately listening to all that's going on in our lives and especially to our prayers. Another way to think of it is uh, the Greek word that Paul uses here. One commentator noted that this word is used in Greek literature often to refer to a lingering or a persistent cough, a hacking cough. Okay, have you had any of those around um, you lately? Imagine, imagine sitting at a concert, okay, or someplace where you're supposed to be quiet, <clears throat> and you've got one of those coughs. And maybe you just come back from intermission and you were coughing out in the hallway and then you sit down and you feel that urge within you to start coughing again. And even though you're not coughing, it's all basically that you can think about. You're trying to suppress that cough. You need water and you need it badly. And probably about 60% 60 of you right now are feeling the same way because you want to cough with everything you've got, right? But that's what prayer, in a sense, is like. Even when we're not uttering it out loud, it's there somewhere. It's right beneath the surface. It's always there. It's persistent, right? It's persistent. That's what Paul is talking about here. He simply means that prayer needs to happen on an ongoing basis all the time. And what Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to develop a God awareness of us or for us, a God consciousness where we are always conscious of the fact that, that God is right here. He's listening to everything. All right? So that's the first question. <clears throat> what does he mean by continually? He means exactly that. Pray continually all the time. The next question then is this. What kind of prayers are we actually talking about? What kind of prayers are we supposed to be continually uttering? And I ask this because I don't want you to get the wrong impression from what we talked about just a couple of weeks ago. All right? Um, the word Paul uses here for prayer is a very comprehensive term. In other words, it means all kinds of prayer. All kinds of prayer. But we should not exclude from all kinds of prayer, the prayers of asking, okay? The prayers of asking for things. And again, why I want to say that is because a couple of weeks ago, we looked at, at Luke chapter 11 specifically, where people do seem to be asking for things, right? They're asking for bread, or they're asking for fish, or, or something of that, that nature, and yet Jesus, at the end of that text, says something like, when you ask for these things, God will indeed give you the Holy Spirit, or He will give the Holy Spirit to whoever asks 
for Him. And we said that, yes, that is the ultimate end and goal of our prayers. Even when we're not always conscious of it, what we are praying for is we are asking for a deeper relationship with our Father in heaven, and the Holy Spirit is the one who administers that relationship. And so in all our requests, we are indeed praying for the Holy Spirit, which is oh so true, but... At the same time, I don't want you to get the impression that praying for things like bread and fish, that praying for things in some way is bad, okay? And, and I may have even used words like, you know, we lift up our grocery list uh, or our laundry list of things to God, and that can be kind of a pejorative term. But really, Jesus does want us in our prayers to ask for things, in fact, that's one of, the, one of the things that He teaches us in the Lord's Prayer itself. He teaches us to ask for our daily bread. And it's interesting, um, in recording the Lord's Prayer, Matthew uses a word there for daily, daily bread, that means something like, Lord, give us our daily measure of bread, or give us a sufficient amount of bread. In other words, give us enough bread for this particular day. Luke's, Luke's wording is just a little bit different. Luke uses a word that carries the sense to it of, of day by day. Okay, in other words, Luke seems to emphasize that this need for bread is an ongoing need. It's not something we just pray once, but it's something we pray day after day after day. It's something we pray continually. We pray for bread over and over and over. We don't just ask for things once, Luke is telling us, and I think Jesus is telling us, but we have to ask numerous times for many things. But bread <clears throat> is not our only daily need in life, is it? And so Jesus is not here limiting our requests to bread itself, but rather He wants us to ask for all of the things that we actually need in our lives. And He gives us guidance, I think, in the kinds of things that we ought to be praying for. All right? So here's my summary. We ought to be praying for bread and beyond, not bed and beyond. All right? We ought to be praying for bread and beyond, not bed and beyond. And here's what I mean by that, all right? Bread and beyond. Throughout the history of the church, there's been a tendency to over-spiritualize Jesus' teaching about praying for our daily bread. And what some of the church fathers had said even early on was that Jesus wants us to pray for heavenly bread here. In other words, he wants us to pray for God's Word in some sense. He wants us to pray for the Bible. Instead of praying for a grilled cheese, we should pray for a verse for the day. And so God becomes then, in that case, God becomes then someone that we approach for our spiritual needs, right? But our own physical needs are then kind of left for ourselves to deal with right? We pray to God for holy things like, like His Word, but when it comes to 
fleshly things like, like bread and soup, well, that you can supply on your own. So I want to be real clear here, and that is that when Jesus tells us to pray for bread, He's really talking about ordinary bread. Okay? He's talking about the thing you make out of flour and yeast and sugar and salt. Don't over-spiritualize His words. All right? So Jesus is teaching us to pray for literal bread. At the same time, don't think of it only as literal bread. In other words, that bread can also be metaphoric. So Jesus is teaching us to pray for bread, but think about all the things that go into just putting a loaf of bread on your table. Bread costs money. Money requires work. Work requires good business, good government, good labor. And so when we pray for bread, we're praying at the same time for money, for jobs, for government, for business, for labor, for good crops, for good weather, for good roads, for justice, and for everything economic, political, and social. It's a lot. We're praying for all things that go into the just production and distribution and purchase of bread. We're praying for all of these physical needs. But I think we're praying for even more than that, right? Because we have other needs on a daily basis as well. We pray for emotional and relational needs. Maybe you need daily endurance in a marriage that's far from what you ever thought it would be. Maybe you need daily strength to resist an addiction or daily conversation to get you through the loneliness or daily faith to face your fears. When Jesus says to pray for our daily bread, He means that we should bring all of our daily needs, each and every one of them, before God. And we must never narrow it down simply to that one loaf of bread. So, don't over-spiritualize the words, but put some thought into what this actually is, this daily bread that we need to go on from day to day. Don't over-spiritualize Jesus' words. At the same time, don't under-spiritualize Jesus' words, okay? As I said, He's teaching us to pray for bread and beyond, not bed and beyond. And by this I'm referring to all the luxuries of life, right? The extravagancies, the frills, the indulgences of life. That doesn't mean that we can never pray for nice things, all right? I don't want you to get me wrong here. I'm not saying we can't pray for nice things, for beautiful things, that the only things we can pray for are the utilitarian, pragmatic, useful kinds of things. And there are people like that, right? They don't have an eye for beauty. What could beauty add to the world? We have to be pragmatic. We've got to be utilitarian. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. But when Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread, please note where he puts that in the sequence of his prayer. It doesn't come first. That request has to be filtered through a number of other requests that come first, right? 
that we hallow God's name, that we pray for His kingdom to come and His will to be done. When you pray for God's kingdom of justice to come, His kingdom of shalom, that, that place where everyone has enough, for instance, okay? When you pray for that kingdom, it's not consistent then to also pray that God will make you spectacularly rich, that you will have more than your fair share of what's out there in the world. Lord, give it to me because I can do better things with it than anyone else can. That God would give me a disproportionate measure of all the world's goods, that's not what Jesus is teaching us. When much of the world's population lays down at night on a dirt floor or a wood floor, it may not be consistent for us to pray for God's kingdom to come and also to pray for our own king-size mattress with a pillow top and a bed cover that comes with matching wallpaper that your husband can hang on the walls, but that also might require redoing the entire master bath so that it doesn't appear outdated next to the new wallpaper, and we could go on and on and on. Do you get what I'm saying? If it really means something to you to pray for the kingdom of God, be consistent in your prayer. When we pray for things, we can't over-spiritualize, but we also can't under-spiritualize. Our requests, as I said, they should be filtered through the rest of Jesus' prayer. We don't pray for God to be the king of our hearts and our lives and then ask Him to eliminate the competition at work for the upcoming promotion, right? To sink somebody else so that we can rise to the top. Our wants and our desires, they need to be influenced by, by the God whose name, whose kingdom and will make up the first part of this prayer. And so we pray for bread and beyond, not bed and beyond. Jesus here is cultivating an attitude of God dependence. Okay? God dependence, where we recognize we depend on Him for all of these things. But now let's ask, <clears throat> what does praying continually, and especially praying for things, what does this have to do with joy and gratitude? Anything? What does it have to do with joy and gratitude? Well, ironically, it's only those who pray continually and who ask for things on a regular daily basis, it's only those people who are actually filled with gratitude and joy. All right? It's only those people who actually ask for things that are filled with an attitude of joy and gratitude. And friends, asking for things on that regular basis, that's not an easy thing to do. In fact, sometimes it feels counterintuitive for people like us because we live in a world today that I think we could describe as, as a margarine world, okay, a margarine world. Uh, most of you aren't old enough uh, to remember this, probably Ben Fox especially, um, <clears throat> but in the second half of the 20th century, so 1950 going forward, 
Um, most people started blaming all of their health issues, all of their weight problems on the saturated fats that are in butter, okay? And so everyone wanted to stop eating butter, and all of a sudden margarine became the fashionable antidote. Everybody started eating margarine. And one of the outcomes of that, one of the results, was we all had these little plastic tubs that we didn't know what to do with. It was like free Tupperware, right? And, and, and all of a sudden, we, we started stuffing all of our leftovers into this free Tupperware, and we would throw it in the fridge, and, and now our leftovers would last forever. And still today, right, just about any of us can open our refrigerators. If you go home and open your refrigerator, you're likely to find a little plastic dish, whether it's Cool Whip or sour cream, or maybe it's even margarine yet today, but it's got something else stuffed in it, right? Leftover pizza or, or beef roast or something like that. And friends, that's something that most of the world cannot even imagine, right? That kind of abundance. It's ludicrous. And so in that kind of a world, doesn't it seem almost selfish or, or silly to actually pray for bread? To pray for more bread? Today's bread? Tomorrow's bread? Tuesday's bread? And friends, living in that kind of world, I think, actually has impacted our prayers. It's impacted our prayers in that we don't pray for daily bread. It feels strange to pray for daily bread. And so instead, what do we pray for? We begin to pray for the things that we don't have. We begin to think that those refrigerators are stocked with all of that stuff because we did that. That's normal. That's the result of our hard work, our ingenuity, all of that stuff, right? And, and where God's place becomes is to pray for the things that we don't have, the things perhaps that seem beyond our control, that seem unlikely, that's you know, they would be nice surprises, but, yeah, probably won't happen, right? And so we pray for things like, uh, help me get into Harvard, or, or find me a doctor for me to marry, or maybe help the Bucks win a championship, all of these things that, you know, they'd be nice surprises, but they're very unlikely, but maybe, maybe God would just do this for us. But friends, when that's what our prayers amount to, when, when we push God into that place where, where we pray to Him for the things that we can't do on our own, what happens is we begin to rob ourselves of a life of joy. Okay? We begin to rob ourselves of a life of joy. Let's just test that a moment. Okay? Let's test that theory. Let me ask you, what happens when you and I receive blessings from God that we have never asked for, that we have never prayed for, but still God seems to pour them into our lives? Friends, I would say this, that what happens is not we become more grateful 
but rather we become more proud. We become more proud. You see, you and I are not by nature believers in the gospel. The gospel tells us that we are dead. Dead, not sick. We are dead. We can't do anything on our own. God had to do it through us, through Jesus Christ. So we are not by nature believers in the gospel. Rather, we're born with hearts that want to believe that we can make it through life on our own, on our own goodness, on our own hard work, on our own intelligence. And so when things go well for us in life, when we receive the blessings of God without even asking for them, it's really one of the worst things that can happen to us. Because when we receive good things without asking, what do we assume? Well, we assume that those good things came because God looked at us and He smiled upon us. They came because we're good, we're savvy, we're smart people. We assume that, that somehow we must be good fathers and mothers and sons and daughters. We assume that we are God-pleasers. You see, our hearts want to believe, they beg to believe that we have what we have because God is somehow pleased with what He sees in us. And so He just pours out His blessings upon us. Um, Tim Keller found this quote from one of the early American preachers, Jonathan Edwards. And this is what Edwards wrote. He says, Only if we pray in a sustained way do we come to a deep recognition of our dependence on God. If God's blessings came upon us without a lot of prayer, we would be hard-hearted and proud, assuming that a good and comfortable life is simply the right of all sensible folk. Friends, a good and comfortable life is not a right of ours. It's a gift. And only when we ask for God's blessings and then we receive those blessings are we grateful. It's only when we ask for bread, right, that we see God's hand in the sandwich that sits before us and we thank Him. It's it's only when we ask God for the clothing on our backs that we, we take a look at our shoes and our jeans and we're filled with gratitude for what He's done again. And we could go on and on, right? It's only when you ask God for the gasoline in your car that you thank Him when it starts in the morning. It's only when you ask God to keep your heart pumping that you thank Him when it does. Otherwise, when do we pray about health conditions? Do you pray when you're healthy? No, you pray when you're sick. Because all of a sudden things seem out of your control when every day it's a gift. It's a gift when your fingers work and they're not arthritic. It's a gift when you can walk across a room and you're not stumbling because your knees hurt so much. 
But why is it that we have to go through those periods of illness? Why is it that you have to have the knee replacement surgery before you look back at your life and say, why wasn't I thankful all those days that my knees worked so well? The answer is because you thought it was you. You thought it was your strength. Boy, I'm just more fit than everyone else around me. Isn't that amazing? Rarely do we ask God for that daily measure of health and then thank Him. It's only when you ask for that manageable day at school that when you come to the end of it and you're feeling good that you take a deep breath and you say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. It's only when we ask continually that we thank God in all circumstances. And friends, what that does is it gives us the knowledge that God is intimately involved in every aspect of our lives. And suddenly a dour life becomes joyful because you recognize that God is right here, right now. He's taking care of me again. It's a life that's filled with joy, always. Pray continually. Ask. And then give thanks in all circumstances. And you'll actually find you'll be joyful a lot more than you are now. Let's pray to God. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we don't give you enough credit in our lives. We reduce your glory so quickly so that we can glorify ourselves. We can give credit to ourselves for all the good things, really, that you have showered upon us. So, Lord, help us to recognize, really, that all good things come from you. They come by your gracious hand. And Lord, forgive us when, when we don't call out to you on a regular, continual basis that you would provide all of our daily bread, all of our daily needs. And Lord, when you do answer that prayer, we ask that you would fill our hearts with your spirit that we may respond to your action in gratitude, thanking you, not just in words, but in all of our living. And as we recognize your, your interaction with us on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, Lord, may our lives be filled with joy because we live in a world where God exists. And more than that, God loves us like a father. In the name of Jesus, we pray this prayer. Amen.